This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock this morning. It's a lovely, bright and crisp spring morning across Kilkenny and Carl and I hope we find you well on this Saturday morning. Shauna was talking about rain, sleet or hail in the afternoon. What the hell is that about? Uh, so get out and enjoy the good weather, but not before you stay tuned until 10 o'clock to the bottom line. We've got lots of good business stories. We're living in challenging times for business, society and individuals and we'll be discussing leadership with well-known fashion entrepreneur Sonia Lennon who is part of a new forum taking place in the coming weeks which is seeking to promote positive leadership in business, media, politics and the public sector. With the last 12 months seeing a huge emphasis on the air we breathe, and in particular the presence of the dreaded coronavirus in indoor spaces, we talked to a Carlo entrepreneur who has developed an air monitoring system which he says can play a vital role in monitoring air quality in schools, offices and shared indoor public spaces. And we'll be talking to one of Kilkenny's best-known businesswomen as part of our 20 Questions series. But first, economist Jim Power is a regular contributor to this programme. I know he's very popular with listeners for his take on issues and his analysis of business, economics and society. So before I came on air, I chatted to Jim about some of the big issues on the business and economic radar at the moment. And one of those was during the week, the International Monetary Fund released their forecast for the world economy for the short and medium term. I put it to Jim uh, that in the context of the shock that COVID has caused to economies all around the world, uh, the forecasts were really rather amazing. Yeah, yeah, yes, John, um, it, it's been quite extraordinary. Um, last summer, sort of July, August period, uh, the IMF, along with many other international forecasting agencies, had a very, very negative view on the world economy for the foreseeable future. And I suppose for 2020, that did materialize, you know, global GDP fell by 3.3%. And that apparently was the largest decline in global growth since the Great Depression. So it it was an extraordinary year. And, you know, it certainly was pretty, the speed and the synchronized nature of the collapse in global economic activity was pretty much without precedent. But what has happened in the last four or five months, agencies like the IMF, the OECD in Paris, they have all been sort of racing with each other to upgrade their global forecasts. And this week we saw the IMF come out with a 6% global growth forecast for this year and 4.4% in 2022. Um, That's a 1% increase on what they were forecasting three months ago. So it's, it's, it's a massive upward revision in the context of these types of economic forecasts. And the key reasons why they have become much more upbeat is, number one, uh, the fact that support for economies is still very, very strong. You know, central banks are continuing to pump money in through quantitative easing. Um, governments everywhere are continuing to spend a lot of money to support businesses and households. So that's really, really important. And that will obviously have to continue for a while longer. 
The second piece then is the vaccine rollout. You know, the speed with which a large number of vaccines have been delivered, uh, the success of the scientific community in delivering these vaccines has really, really been extraordinary. And it's been, you know, one of the most incredibly positive um, scientific developments I think we've seen in years, particularly the MRA, mRNA technology that underlies the Pfizer and the BioNTech um, vaccines. So that has caught them by surprise. And um, as a consequence, they are much, much more upbeat about the world economy. And I have to say, I wouldn't disagree because, um, and there is a big proviso here. And I think every time I've spoken to you in the last 12 months, I have always thrown in this proviso on anything I say. Uh, the future is going to be determined by epidemiology rather than economic fundamentals. And um, so if you assume that the vaccine continues to run faster than the variants of the virus um, and you know succeed everywhere in bringing it under control, uh, that 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 obviously is what needs to happen. Sorry, I suppose that was predicated on the bleakness of the forecast was really rather simplistic view of economies closed down, therefore economic activity closed down. It, it didn't take account of the fact that businesses innovated and I suppose governments adopted quite innovative uh, measures in response to the pandemic. Yeah, it's, it, excuse me, it's, it's been absolutely incredible. Uh, the way in which technology has adopted, the way in which, um, you know, remote working, the way in which conferences, etc., have been facilitated through technologies like Zoom and so on that we'd never heard of over a year ago. So certainly technology in terms of vaccine delivery and in terms of enabling work and economic activity has been extraordinary. And um, the and, and, I, and I think another I suppose a manifestation of all of that is the fact that we've had here in this country and indeed everywhere, it's been very much a story of dual economies. So in, in, our, in an Irish context, if you work in foreign direct investment, if you work in the financial service sector, professional services, um, the public sector, the last 12 months have been good to you in terms of earnings, in terms of your job security, etc. Whereas if you work in sectors tied to hospitality, the airline industry, anything to do with tourism, personal services like hairdressing, um, so on, and of course, arts and entertainment, it's been an absolute nightmare scenario. So, it, and that I think wasn't fully recognized at the beginning of the pandemic, that some sectors actually would not be affected by it. They, they would adapt, they would survive, whereas other sectors, you know, have been very, very seriously hit. Now, and in the I context, suppose, yeah. sorry, Jim, in the context of, of that two-speed economies, also listening to your excellent, if I must say, uh, podcast, The Other Hand, that you do with Chris Johns, I heard you talking about, you know, into the future, even with the growth, um, there's going to be vaccine vaccinated economies, um, if that's the term that you used, but, you know, how a country adapts to the vaccine and uses the vaccine is a big determinant of how fast the growth is going to be. Yeah, yes, it, it is indeed. And the, the IMF certainly um, was very strong on this earlier this week. It was basically saying that the, the the magnitude of the recovery and the relative recovery in different countries would be driven by the rollout of the vaccine. And, you know, clearly 
um, a country like Israel, which has by far the highest percentage of its population vaccinated at this stage, but the United States and the United Kingdom are not too far behind. Um, the, the manner in which that vaccine has been delivered will obviously um, deliver a much stronger economic upturn in those countries because the restrictions will be able to be lifted as the population becomes vaccinated. But I think the IMF has pointed out, and I think this is really significant as well, that this race isn't really won until every race is won as such. It is essential that every country in the world um, gets a proper vaccination program because if you look at what's going on in Brazil at the moment, for example, um, COVID-19 is rampant. The vaccination program is diabolical because of Bolsonaro's policies since the beginning of the crisis. Um, so y you cannot have you know, a number of countries that are fully vaccinated and a number of other countries where vaccination is awful where for a variety of reasons and where you know uh, the virus is still rampant because that will seriously inhabit inhibit international travel but it also gives rise to the dangers that new variants will emerge in these countries that are currently out of control effectively like brazil and that the vaccines won't be able to deal with those variants so it, it's a sandal in other words that the vaccine program is rolled out across the world, not just the developed world, the lesser developed world, the poor countries has to have a ramp up of vaccination programs as well to ensure that the global economy comes back. But in, in answer to your question, John, yes, there's no doubt about it. The coming months um, in Ireland, in Europe, the United States, the United Kingdom, everywhere will be determined by uh, the rollout of the vaccination program and how quickly the restrictions can be lifted and how quickly we can get back to some semblance of normality. Uh, but for sectors in the Irish economy tied to hospitality, um, you know, arts and entertainment, those those sectors that I mentioned, um, I would have deep concerns about the ongoing serious restrictions that are in place. And um, I think the last time I was on with you, I was kind of critical of the National Public Health Emergency Team, NEFID, um, over the, the, the total unwillingness to really apply a risk-based assessment to different activities. Yeah, I suppose um, yeah. on that, Jim, um, I listened to your podcast and you described um, the announcement in the week or the reaction to the outdoor figures as a new low point. Um, just talk to me briefly about that. Well, uh, there was data released by the HSPC earlier in the week, so it's official data. Um, it's not data that's garnered up by somebody like me. It's official data. And it showed that just 0.1% of the <clears throat> COVID cases can be attributed to outdoor activities, just 0.1%. And then within 24 hours, Colin Henry, the chief clinical officer in the HSE, came out basically dissing those statistics and saying they weren't reliable um, and, and that you know, there were nuances that we needed to look at. But that really got to me because this is official data, okay? So it is authentic. And if if the data had been telling story that matched Colm Henry and Neffet's view of the world, you know, they would have taken those data on board um, and embraced them. Mm -hmm. But the moment the data doesn't suit their agenda, 
suddenly they start to rubbish the data. I, I think as a communications exercise, that is diabolical because, you know, it does create a huge sense of disillusionment amongst people. I have to say personally, um, the notion that you would attribute the same level of risk to me being out on the side of a mountain, which I like to do and I can't do at the moment, or in a pub. You know, different activities have different levels of risk attaching. And there has been no real effort in this country, I think, to assess different activities based on risk, excepting, of course, that nothing is risk-free. Mm. Um, and, and indeed, in, outside of COVID times, nothing is risk-free anyway. Every time you get out of bed in the morning, you yeah. know, the risk profile starts. But uh, so I, yeah, I, I found the manner in which those outdoor COVID statistic rates were rubbished by Colin Henry and as pretty demoralizing and depressing, to be honest. Jim Power there talking to me uh, before we came on air, and I chatted on to Jim uh, for a good bit longer than that, um, and we're putting that extended conversation. It'll be available over the next few days on the Bottom Line podcast channel, so if you'd like to hear that, head to wherever you do your podcast listening and subscribe to the Bottom Line podcast. Simply search for the Bottom Line KCLR on Apple Store, Google Play, or Spotify. And Jim, who you heard there, is now also doing a podcast. Who isn't these days? Uh, the podcast is called The Other Hand, and is he does it with fellow economist Chris Johns and it's well worth checking out. Coming up I'll be talking to Sonia Lennon about Lyft a not-for-profit initiative she's involved in which is aimed at increasing the level of positive leadership in business, politics and society in Ireland. Don't go away. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast. KCLR here, John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. Now, I've been asked to give a shout out to a very interesting project that Healthy Carl uh, are doing with Carlo Photographic Society and it's called Carlo A Pandemic in Pictures they're looking for you to submit photos which you feel represent Carlo during the pandemic there's a prize fund of 2,000 euros if you don't mind and the best of the photos will be published in a commemorative book so if you're interested just search online for Carlo A Pandemic in Pictures and get snapping now our next guest has a career that has spanned fashion styling tv presenting she co-hosted rt's off the rails program with brendan courtney and she went on with brendan to develop a fashion brand called lennon courtney which would be familiar to many from dunn stores she's also co-founder of an organization called lift which stands for leading ireland's future together and during the week an invitation landed into the bottom line inbox inviting us to a forum taking place on april 15th which is focused on leadership in the media so mm, thought that sounded interesting so i'm delighted to welcome to the bottom line sonia lennon good morning sonia Good morning, John. We tickled you, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we all need a bit of a tickle these days. Uh, <laughs> the weather is bright, but, uh, you know, lockdown is jarring a bit. But positive leadership, um, you know, we, we're all looking for positivity. Just tell us a bit about Lyft, which you founded with Joanne Hessian. Yeah, so myself and Joanne and Joanne's brother David founded Lyft in 2018. And it was really um, a response to uh, the level of, of trust in Ireland. And we watched as Ireland consistently scored in the bottom of the 26 countries um, in the Edelman Trust Barometer every year. Um, so 
our level of trust in in our media, in our well, not, not actually not so much our media, but in our institutions, in our government, um, in our church, all these areas, um, had been so sort of um, rocked by by scandal and um, by tribunals, um, and 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 really. As a nation, we were, were were really struggling to trust our leadership, and and I suppose Joanne had done uh, a big piece of transformational leadership um, in Paraguay, uh, invited by the the Paraguayan government um, to to really look at the characteristics of good leadership. And she thought, well, if a country like Paraguay um, can can do something like this, you know, Ireland's a good country full of good people. We're, you know, we are a big little country, uh, but how can we get better? And really the response to that was to, to help people to understand the real foundational characteristics of good, positive leadership. How do you think those are, Sonia? How would you describe well, those? Funny, it's not what we think we, they are. Um, we went out with two independent surveys um, and we asked the Irish people, what, what are the characteristics of good leadership? And they came back um, with a, a sort of a really resounding and clear message around what needed improvement in this country. Uh, values like respect and honesty and integrity, empathy is a big one. And, and I think if we, we you know, listen to your last guest and decisions that are being made um, around the pandemic, you know, there is a requirement for empathy and understanding for respecting people's positions um, and, and and really looking at the human aspect of leadership. Yeah, and you've and been... Leadership um, has changed. Yeah, you've been running um, forums. I was looking at your website and you got a really amazing numbers of people turning up to forums around the country where you were discussing these issues. Presumably now you've migrated online uh, with that kind of engagement, but how's that going and how's it relevant to business? Well, I suppose at the core of the lift process is our roundtable method. And that is something that we're rolling out with our corporate partners, with sports groups, with universities, with secondary schools, um, with non-profits. And we uh, basically, uh, it, it's a program that evaluates each of these characteristics that we've identified. Um, it's generally about four, five, maximum six people um, who originally sat around a table and discussed and evaluated and self-reflected on their own enactment of these values. But very quickly, when the pandemic hit, one of our corporate partners who, who's in hospitality, uh, a huge um, hotel group called Prem, said to us, look, we have furloughed workers. People are really scared and struggling. We need to keep that human engagement going. We need to let people know that they're respected and important. And so we, um, within the course of about four days, we turned uh, the roundtable process into an online process. And they're now running. Um, they're running in all our partners. And our partners, because of um, their capability, are, are paying to contribute to Lyft as a rollout. And, and because of that, it's available to anybody for free. All they need to do is to go on to liftireland.ie and book in a session. Um, what's, what's really interesting about the sessions is that they're, they're, they're non, um, non-conversational, non-judgmental. It's really about you and your uh, appraisal of the value. And it helps to 
to it's it's all completely grounded in behavioral science as well um so so this stuff works it really helps with behavior change in a positive way yeah now coming up on on thursday the 15th you're organizing an online forum um and it's called better leap forum but you're focusing in on the media and one of the things uh, you're talking about is the role of the media in promoting positivity during difficult times which is a difficult one um for the media when people are looking for you know truth and trustworthiness and we're in a pandemic and we're in difficult times talk to us about how you see the whole thing about the media promoting positivity yeah i mean uh, you know one of one of the values identified was positive attitude and you know it, it's it's not about um it's not about being delusional that that just doesn't work for anybody um it's it's positive attitude grounded in realism and you know the eminent maureen gaffney says that it takes uh, five positive thoughts to counteract one negative thought. So we are, I, I think, you know, we're, we're broken as a people. We're going through war at the moment, effectively. Um, and, and I think there, there, is, there are positive things happening. Um, and I think it is responsible of us to, to talk about those positive things because there's only so much that people can take. And, you know, we've seen really wonderful things happening in human behavior, people's response. People are more kind and caring and, and respectful of others, I think, than, than they had time to be before. Yeah. So that window of opportunity has opened up. So how do we, how do we tell those stories? Um, how do we congratulate those people? And how do we keep it going afterwards? That's the really big task. And people often confuse positivity with uh, being kind of, for want of a better word, happy clappy, saying everything is great when it's not. But positivity, true positivity is kind of going, well, things are really difficult. It's really tough, but we will engage with the difficulties and we will bring about solutions. Yeah, and I suppose it's kind of, it's, it's, it's harvesting the hope in a situation and controlling our attitudes. Um, and again, there's a huge amount of science and research behind this. It, it isn't the happy clappy. Um, but it's about what, what's the fuel that I need to, to help myself to get through this. Mm. And uh, how have you harnessed that for your own personal business uh, journey? You've had many different uh, roles and so on, but you keep moving positively forward. Look, I'm an annoyingly positive person, I'm not going to lie. I, I have a lot to be positive about, um, but that doesn't mean I haven't encountered huge challenges along the way. Um, you know, myself and Brendan had a, a, a digital business that was, um, you know, high potential startup and, and failed dramatically. Um, and it was horrible. We had let people go, um, you know. So I, I know what that feels like. But at the same time, I think... Uh, harnessing that kind of realistic positivity allows you to reframe crisis as opportunity and, and to use your really kind of core innovative brain to, to find a way out of the corner. Um, and, and, you know, my dad, when he was teaching me to drive, said, you break into a corner and you accelerate out. And I think that's where we are now. I think there's huge opportunity in the market beyond this. Very good analogy. Um, just, Sonia, tell us if people are interested in Lyft, or more particularly if they want to take part in that online forum on Thursday the 15th, where should they go or how can they find out more? Yeah, so straight to liftireland.ie. There are four free events. Um, you'll see all the dates there. We have extraordinary speakers um, participating in these events. And it's really to open up the discourse around these specific areas. So we're covering media, politics, uh, the public sector, and what is the fourth one? Didn't I say I would be able to remember? Uh, um, business. Business, thank you very much. Oh, you of can't all, forget that. All this all is a business show. 
<laughs> but but amazing speakers, amazing discussion, and and really we welcome people uh, taking part. We always leave time for for questions and comment, and um, and it's important that this is sort of a national discussion. Yeah, well, listen, uh, Sonia, pleasure talking to you, and thank you for that um, uh, analogy, which I will take with me. Break in and accelerate out. I think it's a good one to uh, to take with us as we uh, drive through the pandemic. Thanks very much, uh, Sonia Lennon. Okay, good morning. That's Sonia Lennon uh, talking to us about the Lift Foundation and that forum coming up on the 15th. Coming up, we're going to be talking uh, 20 questions with another very positive woman in business. Don't go away. The heart of two counties. KCLR. Now, we got a very good reaction to our first uh, version of uh, 20 questions which we broadcast a couple of weeks ago and uh, it's designed to give you a chance to get to know the individuals behind businesses and organisations within our communities across the two counties and it's back Uh, we keep you guessing it's not on every week but we have it on uh, from time to time and I really enjoy doing it and earlier in this week I spoke to our second ever guest listen in to find out who Mag Kerwin from Goatsbridge Trout Farm and um, a director in the business living here in Thomastown in County Kilkenny. Okay, Mag, and tell us, where were you born? I was born in a, a village, a place called Goresbridge, and actually born in a hospital in Carlow. Um, and I lived there until I went to college and eventually ended up back in Kilkenny, married to uh, Jar Kerwin, the fish farm. And tell us, um, did you come from a large family growing up? I did. I came from a family of 10 kids and I was the third from the top. And so you can imagine that family, we had a a football team, basically. Great. And where did you go to school, Mike? I went to school in the primary school in Goresbridge. Uh, I then went to secondary school in Goresbridge for a few years. Um, And my father died um, just before um, first year. So I was due to go to boarding school, but I ended up going to Goresbridge for three years. And then once the boarding school closed there, I was transferred to Callan in Kilkenny as a boarder. Okay. And did you follow up that education elsewhere? I did. I went to UCD to study biochemistry. And 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 then that was that was the end of my formal uh, training. I did a postgrad then, but that was it in UCD as well. So, what was your first grown-up job? Um, my first job was in a, in a home business. I was about seven, and I set up a little shop for myself. We we my my family business is uh, the horse sales in Gorsbridge. So I went into my mother's cash and carry, bought some um, boxes of chocolate and crisps, and set up a shop in in the middle of the yard in the horse sales, and sold my wares for profit, basically. And who had the greatest influence on the career that you've ended up pursuing? Uh, well, on this career, I suppose I suppose this career is business. I don't I don't know if it's fish farm specifically, but the, the greatest influence I suppose initially would have been my mother, who was a fantastic businesswoman, and then in the latter years, people like Sean Fleming, people like Fiona Deegan from the Enterprise Board, and a man called Blaise Brosnan, they would all have a huge influence on me as a business person now, for sure. And what's the favourite thing about your career, Mike? I love the variety. I just I'm passionate about agriculture and I'm passionate about business and innovation, sustainability. You know, um, I love learning all the time. This business is always involving, right? And and there's so much variety. I just absolutely love every minute of my of my job. And do you have a defining moment uh, or the most important moment that you could point to in your career? 
Yeah, I think uh, thinking about that, I, I suppose, you know, I was on a date with my husband, uh, who was then my boyfriend, and we had trout for our dinner that day. And I remember heading down to the ponds when Jar was feeding the fish that evening, and the sun was shining, and Jar was feeding the fish. And I just turned to him and said, I remember it so well, and I said to Jar, this is an amazing product. Why is nobody telling the story? And that was the beginning of my journey in terms of Goldsbridge, for sure. Can you tell us about a typical working day, Mike? Well, my working day starts probably uh, with uh, some sort of training, either a bike or a cycle. Um, and then I would come into the office after breakfast. Um, and I mean, I suppose my working day has changed over the last year and a half, obviously, with Brexit. Uh, it would have involved a lot of travel. And, and, you know, before that, up to Dublin to meetings on the plane over to the UK and Europe, et cetera, et cetera. And now it, it revolves around Zoom and the office you know, and um, for the last year, I've been able to go into the house middle of the day, make a dinner for the kids and for ourselves. So that's been great. So my working day has changed, but there's always writing. I'm either doing business, I'm either looking at NPD, I'm looking at marketing, I'm, you know, I'm talking to buyers, you know, and so it's, it's again, as I said, full of writing. What do you value most in a colleague? I think you cannot teach. Um, uh, I suppose attitude is probably the most important thing. If somebody has a good a- a- aptitude, it's great. But attitude, I think it's vital for, for staff, definitely. Uh, and how would colleagues of yours describe you, Mike, do you think? Well, I, I, you know, I think I, I, and I have asked for constructive criticism in the last while. I, I was doing a programme of leadership and, and um, uh, uh, there was negatives as well as positives. But I think overall, people would have called me a positive person. And that's important as a leader, I think. How do you deal with setbacks or approach challenges? Always turn negatives into positives. Uh, take, for exact, ex- example, Brexit. You know, people were stressing about Brexit, and I think we will turn this into um, a positive, and that's how I deal with challenges. Can you tell us the proudest moment of your career, or the proudest achievement in your career? Yeah, well, there's been many, I feel. I think we've been very lucky and very fortunate. On a personal level, I think winning, um, when we, we produced a charity book and we won the, the best, um, 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 I suppose, cookery book in the world at, a, at, a, at a, an awards in China a couple of years ago. On a personal level, that was one of them. And then uh, we also won um, an innovation award maybe about 10 years ago, and we were in the um, category with Glenisk and Mash Direct, two very big companies. And I remember it was very exciting when we won that, you know. So at the time, those things were important because they give you confidence to, to know that you're doing something right. So they were two very proud moments. What advice would you give to people starting out in their careers or starting a business? And I'm giving advice to, I suppose, my daughter and my, my kids at the moment, what my daughters don't even start. And I would just say, you know, do what you love. Um, and 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 that's and, and no matter what you do, and once you get to do your career, I think don't stress things you can you can't control within that career. So I think everything happens for a reason too. So do what you love. I think is what the most important thing. Mike, how do you like to relax? Well, people might find this relaxing, but I love sport has been a big part of my life, especially in the last five years. So I'm very involved in the triathlon club. I love to swim, to run and to cycle. And, and I just, it really is a great way to, uh, for me to unwind, certainly mentally. And what about a favourite holiday destination? Um, again, my, my destination, my, I mean, I've grown in the last year and a half to love Tremor. My mother has an apartment down there. We spent a lot of time there down last year because we couldn't travel. And I have to say, it's a magic place. I would definitely say, if I could never go anywhere ever again, but I could go to tomorrow, I'd be happy. What has the pandemic made you realise? 
Um, I suppose it's made me realise what's important, you know. Um, I think it's made me realise that it's very important to look within yourself and to find the peace and contentment within yourself. Um, and, you know, and I think that's what people have had to do uh, with this pandemic. And, and to value the things that are important, which is your health and, and, and friends and family, good food, and, and to be as happy and peace within yourself. You know, that's what it's helped me realise, I think. Mike, if you had a magic wand, what would you do? Well, the usual, I suppose, it's that's an easy one. I'd love to, 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 to uh, I suppose, to um, um, cure the world of, you know, things like, obviously, the coronavirus and, and also things like cancer. You know, if I had a magic wand, that's what I would do. Absolutely. Tell us something about yourself that might surprise people. Mm. Um, I love antiques. I've loved it from the time I was a baby, a uh, little girl. My my family have horse horse business, but we also have antiques. And from the time I was a little, you know, very very young, I was fascinated. And my sister Louise has a has a business now where she's selling antiques online with Instagram and stuff. And I just think it's fascinating. There's so much magic and history in old furniture. I don't think we appreciate it now, but um and and if I had, you know, maybe when I retire, I'll I'll, I'll have a bit more time for it. And I'd love to have a new house every year so I could fill it with antiques. And um, that's my, that's my, might surprise you. <laughs> and finally, tell us what's your favourite piece of music and that you'd like to share with um, people. Yeah, I suppose I love, um, I love James Taylor. You've got a friend. That's 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 a piece of music that means a lot to me. And um, friends are important. And I just, I love his voice. I love that song. I just, it always brings me back to a place, you know. So that would be one piece of music I love, amongst many. When you're down. And trouble, and you need a helping hand, and nothing, oh, nothing is going right. Close your eyes and think of me, and soon I will be there to brighten. Even your darkest night You just call out my really sorry to cut that but this is a business program not a music program but I'd love to play more music on the show but unfortunately uh, the clock is always against us it was a real pleasure to chat to Mag Kerwin there and best wishes to Mag a great beacon of positivity bit of a team coming through on the program uh, this morning and I had the pleasure of popping down to uh, Goatsbridge uh, a couple of months ago when we could and uh, talking to Jer and meeting Mag and looking at all the stuff and a really great business there and best wishes to Mag, Jer, their family and all the crew down there in Goatsbridge. Coming up we're going to be talking to a really interesting Carlo entrepreneur about uh, air monitoring.
The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory list to business. www.omf.ie At the heart of it all. It's 11 and a half minutes away from 10 o'clock. John Purcell with you on the bottom line until 10 o'clock. Now, last year, I spoke to our next guest, Kieran Bulger, from a company called RT Smart Data um, about uh, wearable technology and so on uh, and its role in uh, fighting the pandemic. He's still at it and he's still uh, on uh, the pandemic-related stuff with the development of a new smart tech piece of kit, which is a breath of fresh air for a study centre because he's also involved in a study centre. I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Kieran Bulter. Good morning, Kieran. Morning, John. How are you? Very well, thanks. Now, tell us uh, the story of this uh, breath of fresh air that we're talking about this morning. Yeah, obviously I'm involved, um, as you said, in both business there, Study Home and Carlo and RT Smart Data. So from um, a Study Home perspective, um, there was obviously difficulty in getting students back into a safe environment where we have to kind of comply with social distancing and ensure that there's you know, suitable protection between the students in terms of perspex screens. Um, and the more you kind of looked into it and studied it, um, you know, air quality is such an important factor and it's one we often uh, don't think about because we spend 90% of our time indoors. Um, so obviously air quality indoors is not the same as outdoors. Uh, so I worked with the guys at RT Smart Data um, kind of researching this as well. Yeah, so just um, um, before you go into that, Study Home, it's an educational company, I believe, which you provide study, grind and revision courses. So it's like yeah. a school, effectively. You've got young people in rooms. And I know um, uh, from talking to young people that the windows are open a lot of the time and it's been pretty chilly. But that's very important in keeping the virus at bay. It, it is. I mean, it is certainly a solution. And like the... Uh, the technology that we use, you know, there's there's many risk factors. Um, so you would have CO2 levels, which is our carbon dioxide. Um, and obviously, if those levels are too high, uh, you need to do something about it. So the great thing about the technology we use is that it can send an email or text alert. So I know when we need to ventilate uh, an area or room. Um, now, we take breaks, so obviously the natural time to do that is at break time because you do, as you said, John, often hear from students that they can go into a school and it's freezing. But like I fully understand why schools would have to do that. But I suppose the technology is there to tell us when is a good time. You know, you want to avoid uh, reaching too high levels of humidity, temperature and CO2. Um, and that's what I'm using in study home uh, to tell me all those because CO2 can often um, and does impact your concentration levels. Mm. And as we know, it's important for students to have the best concentration levels, uh, especially those in exam years. Yeah, now uh, I w- I'd kind of describe that as a stuffy room, you know, it's hard to, to operate well in a stuffy room. But the, the science be- behind it, I believe you're talking about things called total volatile organic compounds, and they kind of run a, a gamut of stuff. It's not just CO2, there's a range of different stuff. Yeah, so the sensors themselves, they monitor a, a range of them. And, and yeah, as you mentioned, the, the TVOC, the total volatile organic com- compounds. But I suppose it's a more simpler way of uh, understanding it as airborne uh, chemicals. So you can imagine if you're working in an industrial environment um, with oils or paints, 
you know, you know it's only natural to assume that you know there will be particles in the air. But again, there is technology that can measure that because you know it's incumbent on all employers uh, to provide safe environments for their employees. Mm. And uh, consciousness of the air that we breathe, particularly uh, indoors, must be at all time high levels given the COVID pandemic. Yeah, you see, I mean, it's, it's all been brought to our attention, uh, especially with COVID. Um, but as I said previously, like we spend 90% of our time indoors. You know, you breathe a lot of air uh, during that time. Uh, so it's, it's really important that we understand the environment that we live in and that we work in. Um, um, so the, the monitors themselves can measure many things, um, like humidity, the CO2, the temperature, radon, uh, air pressure, light. Um, so there's different things that impact different businesses. And for me in the study home, it was obviously the, the CO2 and the, the, the virus risk levels. Um, and you can set the parameters so you can get your email or text alerts based on that. So certainly from my point of view, I feel I'm providing a safer environment for students to uh, study in. Um, and obviously you're factoring in their concentration levels as well. So you're, you're, you're operating in a better environment. Yeah, and um, as well as ensuring that your students in study home in Carlow have a safe environment, there is a business opportunity because I understand that in the USA, schools are kind of required to uh, monitor that stuff. So that's a, a business opportunity for your company. That is. I mean, obviously, RT Smart Data, and I work with the guys, and I, I continue to work with them uh, in a professional, obviously, in study home capacity as well. But it's about smart building solutions. So it's a sensor as a service, um, and it's a business-to-business operation. So, you know, we're aiming to target, like, landlords, offices, um, factories, schools, um, and we're using, like, 15 to 16 technologies that we bolt onto our own platform um, because I appreciate that most people or a lot of people are working remotely at the moment, but every employer at some stage will try and, you know, return people to the office again, and they can only do so... Uh, if it's safe um, so we are offering this unique solution and you did mention in the States uh, I think that was actually in California um, and I suppose that's a regulatory requirement so yeah there's always opportunity when regulatory um, requirements come into situ uh, and I, I think it's just it's, it's in a good space at the moment that I think in the next 6 to 12 months employers will be thinking about that obviously schools are thinking about it at the moment um, so they're certainly uh, the areas that we'll be focusing on in the next number of months. Yeah, so um, sounds like a very um, come, at the, come at the hour, come at the, the product that you've got. How are you going to roll it out beyond, uh, beyond where it's at at the moment? Yeah, well, we're actually in a very uh, good space there. Like we're, we're negotiating with strategic business partners at the moment, and we're actually uh, taking on uh, new people as well in the sales role. Because, as you said, like we just didn't start uh, a few weeks ago. We've been at this over 15 months, uh, and it did start with the UWB technology, uh, with the, the, the smart tags, as you, as you mentioned earlier. But again, it just continuously develops. And as I said, it is about smart building solutions, um, and there is a demand there. And it is just um, in the limelight at the moment, um, and we just want to obviously uh, benefit from that. Yeah, so finally, Kieran, if people are interested in that and they go, I want one of those, or that would be good for my business or my educational institution or whatever, how can they contact you? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, the website is www.rtsmartdata.com. 
um, or they can contact, and there's obviously contact numbers on the website. So that's rtsmartdata.com. Um, that's the best place to contact us. rtsmartdata.com. Kiran, pleasure talking to you, and thanks for joining us this morning. Great. Thanks very much, John. Okay, thanks uh, very much. Now, that's all we've got time for this week on The Bottom Line. Remember, if you have any comments or ideas you'd like to get to us, email thebottomline at kclaura96fm.com or if you'd like them back to this show or indeed any of the fantastic episodes of The Bottom Line, just download or check out the KCLR app and or head to the podcast section uh, on either Apple Store or Google Play or Spotify and search for The Bottom Line KCLR. And don't forget to give us a rating or a review. We will have that extended version of the chat with Jim Power up on it early next week. So thanks to all my guests this week, the aforementioned Jim Power, Mag Kerwin, Sonia Lennon and Kieran Bulger. Thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produces the show. Thanks to you for listening. Until we speak again after the news at nine next Saturday morning, have yourself a good weekend and a great week. Get out and enjoy the good weather while you can. Uh, but remember, keep safe, keep your distance and keep the faith. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie